0: so that those that aren't here can listen and so I appreciate you guys being here this morning Um, today is Sunday October 10th and uh, we're going to be in 1st Corinthians today so you could say that today I guess would be the introduction to 1st Corinthians and uh, we'll, uh, we'll go ahead and open in a word of prayer this morning Lord, I just thank you for your blessings today. I thank you for Paul's letters. Uh, Lord, and I thank you for the the scripture, the Bible in its entirety as well. Lord, I thank you that that it's you uh, that we are looking into, that we're studying. And Lord, it's you that provides our salvation. And Lord, it's you that secures that as well. So I pray that you would help us to understand this word today. Um, Lord, help me to deliver it properly in a way that's pleasing to you and glorifying in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're, before we get started, I want to give you a little bit of history, <coughs> uh, a little bit of background on uh, Corinth and, his, and Paul's visit to Corinth as well. Um, and if you have any questions or comments or things, because I didn't exhaust the history, so if there's elements that you remember that uh, are worth mentioning please go ahead and just speak up uh, because I know not every detail of, his, of the history is in this uh, but to just kind of give you an overview Paul visits Corinth uh, during his second missionary journey uh, and he travels from Philippi through Amph- I, I never pronounce this city right through Amphipolis Amphipolis is that right I'll spell it for you A-M-P-H-I-P-O-L-I-S yeah, okay. And then also through Apollonia to Thessalonica, then to Berea, and then to Athens. And so the, the distance between Athens and Berea, or Berea to Athens, if you were to go by the crow flies, is about 200 miles, to give you an idea. Where all of these other cities are well with, you know, within uh, probably a day's walk of each other, Paul gets on a ship. Uh, when he leaves Berea and sails down around the the southern tip of the little peninsula and then into Athens. And then from Athens, uh, Paul is waiting for Timothy and Silas to rejoin him because he had left them in Macedonia um, when he left Berea. And so then uh, from Athens, or Athens is also where the altar with the inscription to an unknown god uh, that's where that is located, and so when Paul goes in there, he he goes into that <coughs> to the um, to the synagogue, and and starts teaching them on Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel with this um, inscription on there. He says, "I know who God is," and and explaining that God is the creator of the universe created everything and because of Jesus Christ and and God God the Father that that's why we have the air we breathe every person Um, and so he teaches in great depth about that and then uh, this is also where Dionysus and Demarius follow Christ uh, from that point on and according to history um, Dionysus later becomes a bishop the bishop of Athens so his conversion is a uh, is, a, is a, a strong point in history as far as how the church of Athens grows and becomes established. Um, and so there's historical accounts of, of this guy after his conversion uh, continuing to spread the gospel as well. So then in Corinth, um, we can turn there if you want to, in Acts 18, a- 18 verses 1 through 8 gives... Uh, the summary of Paul's visit there and you can choose to read it but but through my summary here I I make points on just about every verse in there Um, (coughs) before you read it who can tell me the first person that Paul meets that's a godly person um, when he gets to Corinth there's a couple there's a Jewish couple that are there and they're tent makers it says Aquila, okay, as a, as a Jew, um, in in chapter one or chapter eighteen, verse one. After Paul, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. In verse two, there he met a Jew made, named Aquila, a native of, of Pontius who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered that all Jews leave Rome. Okay, so the first thing Paul does. There's two things that Paul does as soon as he reaches Corinth. The first thing <coughs> is he he finds the synagogue, because we know that anytime Paul goes to a city to um, to be an evangelist or to to witness to share the gospel message, the first place he goes to is he goes to the Jews, um, which is in the synagogue. So he spends every Sabbath day in the synagogue uh, teaching and and sharing witness of Jesus Christ (coughs) the second thing that he does is he gets a job Paul's a tent maker so he finds the place where they're making tents and says I'd like to put in my application please and along with that application what does he do (laughs) he starts talking about Jesus right away and he learns immediately that uh, Aquila and Priscilla (coughs) are godly people they're God-fearing people and so, and the reason why they're there, we know that it was ordained by God for the for them to work together, but we also know that Claudius is used to exile the Jews from Rome, which bring Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, yes, I'm not sure exactly what his title is. Um, but I, that that's one of those things that I didn't dig into, um, but I believe he's the emperor. Uh, of Rome. So anyway, he's he's obviously a, a high up. You're going to google it. <laughs> he goes Okay. <coughs> yeah. Well, no it's it's not Nero because Nero's in Jerusalem at this time, but um when you bring since you bring him up, we will mention him here in a minute about his relationship to the people that are there as well. Uh, anyway, um, they're, uh, Priscilla and Aquila are tent makers, as Paul was, uh, and, they're, and they're there because, obviously, they were exiled from Rome. So Paul goes to see them. He puts in his application. It's also where he is rejoined with Timothy and Silas because we know that he left uh, Timothy and Silas in Macedonia. Uh, he mentions this in a couple of his letters, but also in Acts uh, uh, 17 when he left Berea, it says that, that Paul and si- or Timothy and Silas were left there for a while to continue to grow the church. And they, the, um, the Jews in Corinth, uh, according to Acts 18, become very abusive because when Timothy and Silas show up, Paul devotes himself now exclusively to preaching the gospel. So what he does, he quits his job. And he goes to work in the st- in the synagogue every day on a regular basis, teaching and preaching and, and uh, having discussions with the Jews about the Old Testament scripture and about how Jesus is the one that the Old Testament is talking about um, and producing, you know, there's tension there, but there's also a fruit that comes out of that. um, And Timothy and Silas become the workers to help Paul financially as well as helping him as he preaches. But they they provide financially for Paul um, with, you know, the material needs. And so anyway, they become abusive to Paul and he goes, he leaves the synagogue, then he goes next door to the house of Titus Justus where Crispus, who is a synagogue leader, and his entire household believes and are baptized along with many of the Corinthians. Now, it doesn't say this specifically, but I'm pretty convinced that Sosthenes is probably a part of that group um, because later on, in a couple of verses in in Acts 18, Sosthenes is beaten um, right in front of the court um, where, let me see, I forget what his name is now. Galio, uh, Gallio was proconsul at that time, and so of of Achaia. Achaia, am I saying that correctly? Yes. Achaia, and so Achaia is a region that is now uh, what would be considered southern Greece, um, and he is proconsul there, which which is a basically a, a, a form of a higher the higher levels of law enforcement. Um, And Galio is known for being easy to get along with. And so the Jews bring Paul in. They want him convicted for preaching against their law, preaching against um, what they already believe. And so people are converting, and they bring Paul in, and they say, you need to take care of this. And Galio says, you know what? I'm not going to get in the middle of your religious spat. You know, you guys deal with it. And so what they do is they go outside or... I don't know if it was inside or outside, but either way, it's in the, it's in the presence of Gallio and the rest of the pro-council that they grab this guy who was a Jewish synagogue leader and they beat him. They just tear him up. They just let him have it. And so, <coughs> um, before just, but just before this happens, uh, when Paul is under persecution in the Jewish synagogue, He's he's making preparations to leave, and Jesus appears to him. So if we look at verse uh, 9 of of Acts 18, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. He says, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack you and harm you, because I have many people in this city. And then, of course, according to verse 11, this tells us how long Paul was there. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them uh, the word of God. Now, one thing that it doesn't say specifically in the scripture, but it does say in all of the other historical accounts, and every literary will validate this, that Gallio was only on the proconsul for one year, and that was 51 AD. So we know that, it, that this is exactly when Paul was here, and that the year and a half stay was 51 to about 52 and a half, you know, halfway through 52, uh, or partway through 52 that AD that Paul was there. And so after this, Paul, he's making plans to move on when Jesus appears to him. And so he ends up staying there a year and a half. And we know uh, the Jews, they they wanted Paul to be judged. Galileo Galileo refused. And so the crowd turns to Sosthenes, who was a synagogue leader. They beat him up. uh, And so now he's writing 1 Corinthians from Ephesus near the end of his three-year stay in Ephesus. So back in 1 Corinthians, when he opens in 1 Corinthians 1.1, he's writing back to the followers of Jesus. And he says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. So Sosthenes left with Paul when he left Corinth to go to Ephesus. And so, um, so we know this by his by his introduction to his greeting and so he says to the church of god in corinth to those sanctified in christ jesus and called to be his holy people together with those everywhere who call on the name of the lord jesus christ their lord and ours so as paul writes this letter who is he addressing again Everybody, okay, Church of God, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be His holy people, together with who? All those everywhere. So he does that include us? Yes. So it gives me a little bit of in, in, inclination or an idea that Paul is fairly certain that he's writing to Corinth, but the letter is going to go far beyond where he's writing to and he probably doesn't fully even, maybe fully doesn't even grasp the scope of the impact that this letter is going to make to people 1,500 to 2,000 years later, you know, uh, and to, to realize that this is going to be a document that is going to go on to instruct the church until, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop right there. Um, because I want to mention that later as well Um, one thing I forgot to mention that Galio uh, is the um, I think he's the brother of Seneca Um, and Seneca was like Nero's tutor okay and this is we know this from history I can't remember if it's brother or brother-in-law but anyway so so Gallio, you know you mentioned Nero earlier as being the Emperor in Jerusalem during the time that that Paul was was traveling around and teaching. this kind of gives you how close the possibility of relationship that there could have been through Gallio and Nero or, or Paul and Nero. so Nero was very well acquainted I believe by this time of what Paul was doing and what he was teaching because Gallio and Nero's tutor were family members um, and so they I'm sure they had to interact they had to ask questions hey man what's this Paul what's he up to what's his deal you know what's he doing why is why is it such a disruption to our way of life Um, and so I'm sure there had to be conversations about that at the very least if not uh, legal transfer of information going back and forth trying to figure out a way to to silence Paul, uh, probably as well as t- uh, Peter and James, Timothy um, later on as well. Um, but he acknowledges Sosthenes, and then in verse 2, the church of God in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So if we look at 1 Thessalonians, Uh, Chapter 1. We will see what transpired after Paul left Corinth. 1 Thessalonians 1. We're going to read verses 6 through 8. He said, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all of the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, which is where Corinth and Athens are located. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God had become known everywhere. So after Paul left, I'm convinced that there were people from Thessalonica who Paul was worried about because he was only there for three weeks, uh, and then when Paul left Macedonia, when he left Berea, he left Timothy and Silas there, and Timothy and Silas came later, I'm, I'm not, y- it wouldn't take much to convince me that Timothy and Silas said, you want to go on a mission trip? How about you? You want to go on a mission trip? <laughs> we're going to, <laughs> we're going to see Paul and Achaia. You want to go? <laughs> And probably it's likely that Paul and Silas collected a group of of godly people and said we're going to go evangelize and paul's paul's on his way to going to be on his way to Ephesus shortly after that so I don't know that that's what happened, but in my mind that's pretty easy to understand, according to first thessalonians that that they brought people along to continue to grow the church in Corinth uh for and for that purpose so um he includes everyone everywhere who call in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so then uh, in verses 4 through 9, we'll just go ahead and read through those in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will not be so that you will be blameless, excuse me, on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I kind of consider all of that one verse <laughs> because it, it seems like the content of the verse uh, of, of these these verses here kind of all mingle together. Um, and, and you can't really single out one verse and and exegete that verse without including the rest of them. So uh, anyway, he says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Um, for him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. What are those two things, speech and knowledge? What is he describing? What what describes what those two things are? Any ideas? Wisdom. Okay. Um, it's, it, it is wisdom. I would say that's an, a true statement. Uh, but what is the evidence of our salvation? According to Paul. No, no, I'm not talking about us. I'm talking about as Paul was evangelizing, as Peter was evangelizing, what was the evidence that they received the Spirit? They were speaking in tongues. They 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 received spiritual gifts, and they also received gifts to give to one another. So he's saying, you've been enriched with speech and with knowledge, and this is the evidence that you know and understand and believe the gospel message. So... Um, when he's giving these kinds of things, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. The confirmation of their receiving the testimony of Jesus Christ is given through the gifts that they have received. Okay? Uh, Therefore, you don't lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Now, this is important to to know because later on in 1 Corinthians, he says, there is one gift that you have received, but you're not exercising yet, and, and we know this because the church at Philippi sends gifts to Paul while he's in Corinth, and he's going, see what they did? They gave out of their poverty. Work on that. That's your weakness. So we'll, we'll study that more later, um, but he describes that as one of the gifts that, that God is trying to help them with because Corinth is a very um, a very influential uh, community for trade, uh, for politics. Um, there, there's just so much because of where it's located. It's located on a on an isthmus. If you remember your days of geography in school, um, an isthmus like Christmas without the Christ. It's just it's ist so isthmus. That These what's that? Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a narrow strip of land that joins two larger bodies of land. So in Panama, when you get down to the southern tip of Panama where the canal is, that's an isthmus between uh, North America and South America, okay? That little narrow body of land that connects North America to South America. In Greece, there is a large area that looks like an island with the exception of about a five-mile strip It's about four to five miles wide between the mainland and this big area that sticks out. So, for trade and for commerce, there would be, excuse me, there would be ships that come in. They port at Corinth, and then they transport the goods across this Isthmus, and then they put them on another ship, and they continue across the Aegean Aegean Sea um, over toward Asia, towards Ephesus. So, anyway, it's a it's a very influential and it's a very wealthy area as well as in um, a a community that is uh... very much into pagan religion um, you know and, and that kind of thing so we know that in athens there are, there are all kinds of idolatry uh... that kind of thing so anyway <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you'll remember that <laughs> it's a it's a it's a god-made bridge there you go um, So anyway, uh, it's important to know this because we know what Jesus says about wealth. Um, We know what Jesus says to the rich young ruler um, who has a lot of uh, financial resources and has a lot of belongings, that it's difficult for someone that has great wealth, um, you know, material wealth, to enter the kingdom of God. So when Paul goes into, into Corinth, He's going into a city of rich young rulers, you know, um, established, well, you know, there. It's just a wealthy community. Um, there are there are as many as uh, archaeologists have have uncovered as many as twelve different temples in Corinth that at some point or another throughout the first century church that doesn't necessarily mean they were all functional at the same time, but. Throughout the the first century church, at some point, there were 12 different temples to different gods um, that people went in to worship idols in. And so Paul is going into a difficult area. And so I understand very quickly and easily how he, when he's persecuted, he's ready to pack up and leave. And Jesus has to actually appear to him in a vision, which Jesus does one more time after this in in Acts. Um, But Jesus has to appear to him specifically and say, Don't be afraid, stay here, you're protected, you're okay, because I have many more people that are going to give their life to Christ, to me, um, as a result of the message that you bring. So if we look at Romans chapter 1, for just a minute. Verse In eight, verse 8, this is a very similar uh, type of a prayer greeting you could say that Paul gives uh, to many of the, of the cities that he writes to. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the, all over the world. Um, Paul is, is stating that Jesus is the only way uh, that anyone may approach God. And he says the same thing in 1 Corinthians in verses 4 um, through 8, 4 through 9, that God is the one who, is, who maintains our salvation, and God is the one who does the saving, but the only way that that's done is through Jesus Christ. The only way that we're able to approach God is through Jesus Christ. And so that's the message that he's bringing. Um, now, in verses, verses 4 and 5, again, he says, I always thank my God for you. Um, I've read that already. I'm going to jump ahead. Yeah, 1 Corinthians. And he says with, with speech and with knowledge, and of course, those are the gifts that he gives. So we're going to turn now to Philippians chapter 1, where we've already studied. And verses, read verses 9 and 10. And this has become a prayer in my own personal prayer life. Uh, this has been added to my own personal prayer that, that God does this or that Jesus does this for each one of us and for myself. He says, and this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus. There's two aspects of this this particular passage that are that are met, as well as in 1 Corinthians uh, one four through nine. He always brings into, uh, in his greeting and his prayer, the rapture about Jesus, the rapture of the church. So he mentions here for the day of day of Christ. Um, and in, uh, in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 1, he's, he says that you, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's, he's referring to um, the rapture of the church at this time as well. And so we know that in, at the beginning of verse 8, as he starts verse 8, he says, He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless. Um, And in verse 9, God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son. And so when we read that particular passage, we understand that it's God. If we refer back to John chapter 10, Jesus confirms that he brings salvation and God is the one who saves. If we look at John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29, This has been a, uh, a comfort verse for me for years, um, a passage anyway, John 10, <laughs> that's all right, welcome back, <laughs> 27 through 29 in John chapter 10, Jesus is referring to himself in verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. So Jesus is the source, and they shall never perish. Uh, Jesus is our exposure. He says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. And then in verse 29, he says, my Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So collectively, the Father and the Son... Are responsible for our salvation but Paul is stating in 1st Corinthians 1 that God is the is faithful and he's the one that holds us until the day of Christ uh, he holds on to our salvation until the rapture comes and uh, Wayne you just sent me on a trip to I forgot what I was gonna say <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> Right. They? Uh, Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's yeah, Witness. yes. I mean, the right there. I mean, Right. Right. Jesus says that um and and you know it's it's clear uh it's clear throughout the whole Bible, throughout the whole New Testament as well. Um, And and Wayne referred to John 1.1, the first few verses of of John, um, where he says that very clearly, you know, that Jesus is the word. And unfortunately, they've changed their Bible to say that that Jesus is a God instead of the God. And so we understand that. But there's other passages um, because that book... Uh, that book was what, written early 1900s, is that correct? Or yeah. Uh, or was late late you know, 18? The 1920s? Okay. So during the, De- the Great Depression, yeah. you know, people are probably searching for something new. Um, they're probably digging around looking for some other form of belief because they may feel, you know, people probably... Uh, may have felt abandoned by God or whatever, they're, they're looking for something different, which is exactly what the people of Corinth would do. They would philosoph- get together and the philosophers would, would look and talk and try and figure out new forms of religion. Uh, and, and you'll see later in chapter 1 where Paul says, this is it. The first and the last. This is the only way to, to, to heaven. It's the only way to approach God is through Jesus Christ. And, and so the book of Corinthians is constantly putting them in that position and say, stop looking for other stuff because this is it. This is the way. And so actually when we start reading in verse, verses 10 uh, and on, um, we won't get into that today, but he's, he's, he's drawing, he's kind of reeling them back in. He's writing this letter almost three years after he's left. Um, and so he's reeling them back because after three years, they're struggling with this, this desire of tradition to continue to search for something new, um, to continue to do like, like Solomon uh, describes in Ecclesiastes. He said, there is no new way. Uh, there is nothing new under the sun. Sin is sin. It always has been. It always will be. And God is God. Always has been. Always will be. And so he's, he's bringing them back to Jesus Christ. Remember what we taught you. Remember what you learned. Don't worry about what other, the other philosophies are because the Jewish people are coming behind me to try and destroy what I've established. And we've seen that from uh, Paul's journey through Macedonia. They followed him all the way through there. Uh, trying to tear down what he had done and now they followed him to Athens and they followed him to Corinth as well trying to do the same thing and so um, this is this is where he's at Um, we've got a couple more minutes let's go ahead and read through verse 12 in uh, first Corinthians 1 verses 10 through 12 he says I appeal to you brothers and sisters in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there will be no divisions among you, but you will be perfectly united in mind and in thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. And what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, "I I follow Apollos. And another, I follow Cephas excuse me and still another I follow Christ so Apollos we know um, and and Cephas and then of course Paul Apollos is one that that was saved as a result uh, of Paul's visit there Cephas I'm, I'm not sure that that is Peter okay that's what I thought okay so they were familiar with Peter's teachings uh, as well um, I hadn't studied that, but I was pretty sure that that's who he was referring to there, uh, because he refers to Peter um, also when he starts talking about marriage uh, in chapter seven, chapter six and seven, um, he he refers to Peter being married, um, and so anyway, so there's there's different people and they are they're connecting themselves immediately as mentors to these people but it's to the point that they're worshiping the people who are are sharing the gospel with them. And Paul is saying, don't worry about that. Um, Don't worry about if you belong to this church or to that church. Follow Jesus Christ. These people are here to help you look to Jesus Christ. They're not the ones who saved you. So don't give them that credit and be in unity um, among each other in in the body. So in verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? He says, I thank God that I not baptized any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. And in verse 16, yes, i also baptized the household of Stephanus. But beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross be emptied of its power. So if Paul is doing anything to bring attention to himself, it distracts from the gospel message. And so this often becomes a a controversy in churches when we talk about music, um, when we talk about giving and those types of things, and we talk about what the church should look like, um, how much money we should invest in uh, architecture, you know, and those kinds of things. So the house of God, yes, it should be clean, it should be neat, it should be tidy to the point where it's not distracting to people who want to come in and worship. Um, but I have a difficult time when I'm driving down the road and I see a church and people go, wow, look at that. You know, And, and I don't mean that to sound bad you know, because it should be attractive, but it shouldn't be to the point where I'm going to go to this church because they look wealthier than this one. Right. And the same with the music. Uh, music is probably one of the things that divides more churches um, in the last 20 to 25 years than anything else because some people want this type of music. I'm not going to name a genre because (laughs) I know everybody has, and we've had this discussion in this church, is that everybody has their own preference, but the question always has to be, do the lyrics, do the words of the song give glory to God? Uh, Because we know that David writes that we praise him with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And so if it gets to the point, um, I'm one who likes rock. I mean, I just like rock and roll. That's just all there is to it. So every every time when I'm listening to a song, I'm listening to the guitar player, and I'm listening to, oh, yeah, yeah, and I'm listening to the words too. (laughs) But my first appeal to a song used to always be regularly it would be what the music sounds like Um, and so the more I've matured in that I'm drawn more towards what the lyrical content is and less about what the music sounds like and so it sometimes can be a difficult or a, a spiritual struggle and it is spiritual um, of how different songs are played and how they're presented in different churches because it's easy to be drawn to a church. You know, like we know that Hillsong and Bethel and a lot of these churches, they have some songs that are um, that are theologically correct, but the draw is the style of music. And once the style of music draws people in, then they can be indoctrinated any way they want to. And so it's important to know that the content of all the songs, and what we don't realize kind of getting off on a little tangent here but what we don't realize is I struggle to not to listen to their songs but to play their songs in here because when we do through the CCLI licensing contract that we have we play those songs and we pay an annual dues to them those ministries get that money based on how many of their songs we play and how how frequently they get played and so I struggle with that when we when we play them in here because I'm like I don't want to support a false teaching, you know. But the song is theologically correct, so th- that's something you can pray for me specifically about. That's a little war that goes on inside of Dave between <laughs> my spirit and the Holy Spirit, you know. Um, so I'm always looking for ways to to give that credit to somebody else, you know, that is theologically correct. Um, but anyway, Paul is is asking in in verses thirteen uh, through seventeen. Um, yeah. And this is probably a question that's been asked over time. Since Christian music even came out. Right. And it's one that my grandma would ask. Okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> 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 All right, we're bringing grandma in now. Okay. <laughs> huh? Well, I know, but Okay. So you're talking about the different genres of music. Mhm. Yeah. Okay, and I know, like, our son Ryan loves the heavy metal music. But, okay, I'm dating myself. If he not understand the
1: words, right.
0: what good is the Christian music? You make a very valid point. I mean, think it's drawing that person in because they like that style. Right. We'll answer that question with the scripture. Um, yeah, I thought I knew where it was at. I thought it was in Romans ten. Let me let me answer that with a question. Faith comes by hearing the message about Jesus Christ. Is that Romans 10? Okay. 10, 9, and 10. Thank you. I knew it was in there. Um, So in, in verses 9 and 10 of Romans 10, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So, Faith comes by hearing the word of God. If they are drawn by anything other than that, what are they being drawn to? Yes, yes, that's the one I was looking for, I think. Um, so verses, yeah, for 17, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Um, so the question is, they may be drawn to a to a style of music. They may be drawn to but if they're not listening and not hearing a clear message about Jesus Christ, then transformation's not gonna happen. Well how can you like that style of music? How can you hear the the message of Christ in that style <laughs> of music? <laughs> they're I mean, well in in you know, as we heard in the documentary that we watched last Sunday, the group Striper, they were a heavy metal band and they started out as a heavy metal cover band for like ACDC and, and all of these heavy metal uh, secular bands and they were listening to um, Jimmy, Swagger. Jimmy Swagger. Jimmy Swagger, this was before his fall, he gave a very clear gospel message and, this, and uh, Michael Sweet was the guy's name, his brother, his, their whole family was sitting there, him and his brother and, and his parents, and I don't know if there were other siblings there, but his brother is sitting there, and they're watching Jimmy Swaggart on TV, and when it's over, his brother turns around, kneels on the floor, and just gives his life to Christ. Boom, doesn't say anything to his brother, his mom and dad. He just, right there, he prays after the program is over, and that sparks a conversation between mom and dad and, and his brother, and before the night was over, they all gave their life to Christ. And years later, it, 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 or shortly after that, he and his brother and the other two members of the band say, we need to be singing about Jesus Christ. People need to hear this message. And so they're convicted to stop doing what they're doing. They, both, they all still love heavy metal music, but their lyrics now are they are singing and writing about Christ. And now they're in the, the Christian music industry. So now they are singing and and so this is how their uh, transformation takes place and they're in the Christian music industry and they're traveling around and with every concert that they do they are giving the gospel because in the middle of their concert they stop they get their bible out and they give them the gospel message that they heard and so a few years later um, they're in uh, I'm taking a long time on this I'm sorry about that (coughs) <coughs> he happens to walk into a, his family's home again and they got Jimmy Swaggart on the TV and Jimmy Swaggart is saying that the, that the church is being indoctrinated by these false teachers and he says, and this is how they're doing it. And he holds up this album of the heavy metal band, Striper, and saying that they're false teachers because they're using rock and, rock and roll as an evangelistic tool or heavy metal as an evangelistic tool. So the, the thing you always have to ask is, is, is the gospel message being clearly um, introduced and clearly given? If I, were, if I were witnessing to Wayne and Madeline, <laughs> I wouldn't use Striper <laughs> as, as my witnessing tool, um, but I, I would share the gospel with a person, and if their, if their musical taste was a heavier band, I would say, give these people a listen. Oh, Check this out. Right. This is one thing that, with us years ago, I told him I didn't like a certain song because of what the words were, and it wasn't even a Christian song. It was just that the words didn't make sense, whatever. It was stupid, (laughs) and he's like, oh, "Yeah, yeah." Right. So, oh, okay, that's what they're saying and 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 maybe decide from there because there's been times that I've liked a song and then listened to it a little bit closer and then like Right Okay, well I don't like that anymore. Right. And, and see that's I that's, that's <laughs> 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 You know, and and I give people I rass people all the time about country music and stuff like that. Country music's not the music is not bad. Uh, for me, it's the it's the element of the person's lifestyle that's the writer of the song mm-hmm. that says in one album that they go to church and they love the Southern Baptists and this and that, and we get together and have chicken on Sunday afternoon and this kind of thing. And in another song on the same album, they're talking about being at the bar on Friday night and taking home a waitress. And so that's the part about country music that just makes me, mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so groups like you too that profess that they were Christians, or they profess Christianity, but play music that doesn't really give a clear message about Jesus Christ, I look at it and say that's not Christian music. You know, you can say you're a Christian all you all you want to, but if what you do is is in your life is okay, I'm just going to comply with things so I don't make too many waves. That says Paul says, you're, you're completely disruptive to the church. You're completely disruptive to the body of believers. So I always go back to, you know, not everybody's going to understand the words to every song from different genres and things like that. Um, but there I- if there is a clear message and it is understood, then I would say that God is glorified by it if somebody is reached. And ultimately, the bottom line is, is they're reached with the message about Jesus Christ. They're not reached with a song or a brand of music or a, a label or a genre or anything like that. They have to see a Christ lived uh, life before there, there's any credibility or any attention given to that person. I so sorry, maybe that was a special gift <laughs> <of God>. <laughs> 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 Yeah, sorry. <laughs> All right. I thank you for your attention today good conversation this morning. God bless you guys.